What's going on, everybody? Welcome to People Playing Games, a podcast spotlighting cool people doing cool things in games and entertainment. As always, I'm your host, Mike Andronico, and before we jump into things, I have an exciting little update. We are finally on Spotify and Google Play, so if that is where you get your podcast, please do check us out there. Of course, we are everywhere else, including iTunes and SoundCloud. And if you could take a second to leave us a review on iTunes, that would make a huge difference in getting the show out there. We really would appreciate it. So without further ado, let's jump right into things. Today's guest is a writer for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He's also the three-time host of the New York Game Awards and also just an all-around hilarious guy that I'm happy to call a personal friend, Mr. Devin Delaquanti. How's it going, man? Hello. Great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel like I should rename the show Comedians Playing Games because I was (laughs) just talking to uh, Jeremy Kaplowitz from Hard Drive just a few weeks ago, um, which was a lot of fun. Do you guys know each other? No, I don't know him, but I, I really enjoyed that episode, and uh, I actually um, I started following him on Twitter, and then uh, I've, I think, properly followed a Hard Drive, so it's uh, it's great. Like, I, I definitely love video game comedy, so it's nice to uh, be able to find some of that, and uh, yeah. For sure, and uh, so how are things at The Daily Show these days? It seems like you guys have no shortage of source material to draw from <laughs> with with oh, the world yeah. being the way it is. It's crazy nonstop. I mean, this, uh, you know, as we're recording, this was the week of the Michael Cohen hearings, which were, I mean, just wall-to-wall bananas. And Kim Jong-un, the president meeting with the dictator of North Korea the same day. So, you know, it's. I feel like that would be a five-alarm day in any other presidency. I mean, it was sort of felt that way in this presidency, sure. but it's just every day is you never know what what will come along the pike or what will break at 4:45 as we're in rewrite scrambling to <laughs> put the show together and then we have to, you know, break everything and start again. Of course. So yeah. So you've been there uh looks like a little bit over 3 years now if I'm if I'm not mm-hmm. wrong. So how is how's the show kind of changed and evolved since you first got started over there? I feel like it, you know, it's constantly evolving and I I heard that that was the case under John as well. I started when Trevor started, so I came in, you know, there were a couple writers during the transition of people who left and there were some people who went to last week tonight with John Oliver and um and like some new people started then and then when Trevor came on a couple people, you know, the oh uh, one of the writers went over to be the executive producer of Samantha B, so there were a few openings and I submitted and got the job and I started and then so did uh, a couple other writers from Africa who came, who uh, one from Uganda, one from South Africa, and then me from, you know, northern New Jersey and <laughs> slash California. So, um, but it's been, you know, it's it's great and uh, it's just... I, f- I think any the nature of late night TV is you you're always kind of refining the process particularly at the daily show things will change and when I first started we would kind of uh, work on on things sort of ourselves and bring them to Trevor and then we would we sort of slowly learned what he liked and and what his style was as the host of the daily show and you know he was learning it himself and right. I think as as the years have gone on we've sort of refined the process and learned his voice and we kind of know, the format of the show and um the process will change you know i think every like once a year we'll go through kind of a drastic like okay we're gonna be doing it all write a script together now or right like i'm gonna send you off and you go write this and then bring it back and so we kind of change just to keep things from feeling stagnant or to keep from you know getting into a, a boring routine but um yeah it's it's always fun and i think it, 
there are certain things like the meetings we have have kind of stayed the same and the way you watch clips and pitch jokes and and you know try to have bigger takes on the news stories that stays the same but the the day-to-day of how we put the script together and try to do it as close as we can to what the final product is the first time Mm -hmm. like when we as earlier in the day as as possible as early as we can get it to what we want it to be is is great and the less refining we have to do and the more like just cutting things that oh this is extraneous we don't need this or and not sort of like completely rearranging an act you know an hour and a half before we have to tape is is always ideal so. <laughs> um, but I feel like we've gotten a lot better at that over the past three years and um, and I think it's fun is a weird word to use in this time in American <laughs> right, history right but I, you know, I think it's nice to be able to watch everything that's going on and and sort of sit back and and take it in with a bunch of people who are incredibly smart and incredibly funny and able to process things and and crank out jokes really quickly and and have solid takes on on the news. So it's uh, it's great. Like, you know, it's constantly evolving, but always always thrilling and fun. Awesome. And what's Trevor like in person? He seems like a pretty cool guy. He's exactly the way he is on on television. You know, we he decided kind of early on that he wanted to talk to the audience and um, and have have that be kind of a part of the show, just like him. You know, sh- just interacting with them and and having you know regular conversations about things. Or sometimes he'd have like a loose idea of something and would want to talk about it you know, let, let me see if I could work out a bit or something like that. And he decided to do that as part of the show that we call Between the Scenes. And that's genuinely how he is. Like the Between the Scenes uh, episodes that we post on Facebook and on Instagram and, and all those, you know, mm-hmm. the various social media, the social meets. <laughs> uh, we, he is that way. You know, he really comes in with a lot of energy and a lot of ideas. And, um, and that's the way he is in the meeting is the way he is in those Between the Scenes. And, you know, obviously like when we're doing the act, like the proper headline of the day there's graphics that pop up there's throwing the news clips so it's a little more formal than you get with him just personally but i think that between the scenes thing is definitely like his sensibility his sense of humor and it's nice that it gets to be a part of the show and that he can express himself just without any of the trappings of the daily show you know apparatus around him right but he kind of built that into the into the show and and it's worked really well and been really i think good for us and it's another he always talks about the the way that the show is more than just what you see on tv and i think that's been a really good example of that very cool and we are going to talk a lot more about your work uh, in tv and comedy later on the show but as is tradition on people playing games i want to dive into your gaming history a little bit so what are some what are some of the first games you remember playing growing up um i i was very uh devoted to the pc games when i was a kid because my parents were very devoted to me not having a console (laughs) so that's uh i sort of naturally gravity you know found those games and some of the earliest ones were like the lucas arts games the old point and click adventures uh the secret of monkey island um maniac mansion day of the tentacle uh and they're i love those games and they i think it's not a mistake that they had really sharp senses of humor um you know, Monkey Island in particular was a game where, like, the combat was insult sword fighting, where you had to have, like, the right <laughs> repartee response. Yeah. And I think that, in a lot of ways, kind of formed my sense of humor and, and sense of um, 
non-aggression if you will right um and uh yeah so i really enjoyed those games and i always um i always enjoyed the the way that they they were puzzle games but they also had such complex narratives and and were so fun to to live in those worlds you know the melee island and and uh and then later in like the curse of monkey island you know the third game that was kind of more in the cartoon animation style blood island and all those all those places uh all the locations i just i loved it and i loved that feeling like i was in that world mm-hmm. when i whenever i would play them and and same thing with like grim fandango like what a beautiful game set in you know the day of the dead the land of the dead and you know the mexican folklore and but also this kind of film noir uh mystery with uh you know foggy towns and like casablanca you know owning the casino it just they were so beautiful and so complex and so smart but but they were just fun you know as a kid you don't appreciate how much goes into them and i really love those worlds and so i played a lot of those games and then you know and on the other side of it like nhl 94 i remember playing a ton of that yeah. but on pc and then uh command and conquer once i was in middle school red alert command and conquer red alert that was really fun um trying to think think of some of the others that i played when i was oh and rebel assault oh yes the star wars games yes i remember rebel Um, assault vividly such a bizarre thing just the mix of live action um yeah and and gameplay but it was super cool for the time i feel like it probably doesn't hold up too well today but yeah probably not. i remember just being super enamored with that as like you know yeah i was probably like eight years old nine years old and just the height of my star wars obsession Oh yeah, (laughs) and there was no new Star Wars content the way there is now. Right, it it was a a real time of famine for the Star Wars fan. But I remember the my mom was always very computer tech savvy, and and it still is to this day. And she would, she was, you know, on the internet and on like you know CompuServe or whatever it was back then. Uh, Yeah, I think it was before Netscape, whatever she used. But she downloaded the demo of Dark Forces, which (laughs) was like that first first person shooter. And it took like you know five hours or whatever yep. it was or overnight and probably a couple days. And we were like, oh yeah, it didn't work and whatever. And then all of a sudden it like opened up and it was like, oh my god, it's here. And uh, and Doom was so exciting that to see like a blaster, you know, and and stormtroopers was just it felt like the greatest thing that had ever happened. And then you're like, oh, this is how they got the Death Star plans. And then <laughs> yeah. you know Rogue One came along and was like, no, that's not canon now. <laughs> yep. Like all right. Like Kyle Katarn is the one who stole the Death Star plans forever, but um, but yeah, I, I loved those games. They were so much fun, and um, uh, I yeah, I played a lot of that. And then when Jedi Knight came out, you know, all those. So the the LucasArts games, kind of all across the board, were just such a you know a huge part of my childhood growing up. And then eventually, I got a Nintendo sixty four and played GoldenEye and you know Mario sixty four and and a lot of those things. And but I never really had consoles until um. A PS3, like okay. that was the first one I really owned, right. and I made I made a pact with my then girlfriend, now wife, um, because I had you know I I went to college and and studied the arts and and English, uh, which were two very practical majors to use for finding a career. But it once I, it, yeah, fortunately, you know, <laughs> it all it all worked out in the end. But I wanted to get a job, you know, doing doing something that I that I cared about or working in comedy or you know doing some sort of thing like that and I eventually got an internship at the onion and when I got hired we said okay we really wanted to get a ps3 and it was like if I can get a job there 
we'll get a PS3 because it's like I can now do the thing I want to do as my job. So then my after work, I can have a console. So that was when we got our first console was like the week that I got hired at the onion officially. Awesome. And uh, that's a cool memory. It's been, Oh, it was great. And it's, I, I still cherish that PS3. It's such, such a, yeah, it's, it makes me very happy to think of it. Was it one of the, the OG fat ones that played the, the PS1 games? No, I don't think, I don't think so. I think it was decently into the cycle of PS3. Okay, because it came out what in two thousand six. Uh, yeah, the original, the original one I want to say was uh two thousand six. Yeah, two thousand six, and I ended up getting this in like two thousand ten. Yeah, so it was yeah, it was into that cycle. Gotcha. But, um, but yeah, so then that's when I really started properly getting into console gaming and you know i was so used to the keyboard and the mouse for any first person shooter i was like what is this two stick situation (laughs) and but you know then it's like okay fallout 3 and you know you get used to it sure sure bioshock and all that i remember playing bioshock uh on my macbook pro in whatever it was 2010 because i didn't have a console and i would just play it alone in my studio apartment with headphones on just sort of huddled in the darkness and I would get so freaked out all of a sudden because I would realize like I was alone and I had no idea what was going on around <laughs> me. It was like, it was such a weird, it was like my own little VR setup. Right. But, but not at all as, as high tech. Yeah. As that. VR on a budget. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's when I really properly got into console gaming and, and I'll, you know, I would play with my friends, uh, you know, they had N64s and Playstations when I was in high school. So I would, I would dabble when I would go over to their houses and play like, you know, WCW NWO Revenge oh, yeah. on Nintendo 64 and get thrown through a table, you know, <laughs> by Kevin Nash or whatever it was. But, um, but yeah, those that's sort of my my history in gaming it was a lot of adventure games and then some real time strategy and then eventually got to got to the consoles more recently. Cool. So out of the stuff we just talked about, does does one game stand out as your favorite of all time? I, I mean, it's got to be the Monkey Island game. Yeah. It's between the, the first one and then Curse of Monkey Island. And Grim Fandango, I mean, honorable mention Grim Fandango, but it just, uh, I don't know, they, they were so formative for me. And, and the voice acting and the writing, and it just, it was one of those things that was so much fun, but then also kind of formative in terms of sense of humor and, and sense of goofiness. And, you know, um, yeah, I I really love them. I actually just got a... Uh, a LeChuck Grog shirt that it, I had a targeted Instagram ad that was like, I bet you'd like this LeChuck Grog shirt. And I'm like, the algorithm is correct. Yep. <laughs> they have predicted what I would like very much. You couldn't so. click that buy button fast enough. Oh my God, it was great. <laughs> it was awesome. So well done to whatever, you know, whatever Google cookie is it was, tracking. It was just Facebook listening to you talk. I'm sure it was. Yeah. We're going to find that out in like five years. Like, yeah, we were listening to you talk. <laughs> yeah. Everyone said we weren't, but we definitely were. I'm calling it now. They're going to be like, yeah, we absolutely were. I'm sure. Um, yeah. So out of the newer stuff that's out there, is there anything uh, you've been playing lately? Uh, lately, I've been really diving into God of War, which yes. um, which has been really fun. Especially like I just became a father in yes. September. Congratulations. So. Thank you. And uh, so the relationship between Kratos and Atreus is... Uh, is really speaking to me right now. And, uh, <laughs> just yelling yeah. boy constantly. Oh my God, all the time. I'll hand, just boy. And <laughs> he then looks at me and spits up on, on my shoulder. And yeah, and then I can look at him disappointed, you know, the way Kratos would. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. But it's good. You know, I, I, I try. One of the tricky things about hosting the Game Awards is I, 
I feel like I want to dabble in a little bit of every game, so I don't necessarily get to play anything for a ton of sustained time, except Spider-Man. I kind of plowed my way through Spider-Man as fast as I could, and I really loved it. I I just thought it was so much fun and like kind of like tasty candy to just swing around New York, and it looked so beautiful, and it was really thrilling, the, the feeling of motion flying through the city and, you know, and all the villains and i you know i live in i i was bummed you couldn't go to queens especially spider-man yeah, being a kid from queens right? and i, I know, really hope so. that's in the sequel you know, yeah Spider-Man that'd be great oh my just god go home for a little bit and do some chores cook some dinner yeah hang out with aunt may uh, you know out in like you know the two-story apartments <laughs> yeah, yeah um, exactly. so yeah hopefully insomniac is listening and working yes. working very hard on that right now they should make each borough a dlc i like i i pay, seems I pay like it's right it. there yeah, I didn't even pay for the Staten Island DLC. Get on the ferry? Come on. That's like the pre-order bonus. Like, they're not going to sell it, but if, if you yeah. buy it early. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. Who I, wouldn't want to dress as the punk rock Spider-Man and take the Staten Island ferry <laughs> and then just go around, you know, to the various divey bars and, you know, and and fun locales of Staten Island? It's a no-brainer. Be, I would do Yeah, that. it'd be amazing. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you touched on, you brought me perfectly to my next question. Um you know, we uh, we get to work together every year on the New York Video Game Awards. Uh, for you guys mm-hmm. that for you guys listening that don't know, I'm part of the New York Video Game Critics Circle that puts on the show. Devin, of course, has been our awesome host for the past three years now. So, how did you first uh, get involved with the circle and, and start hosting the awards? So, I um, I think it's it was passed down to me as a. Uh, it's i guess daniel radosh who's another writer at the daily show who's been there for a long time he uh he did it for several years i believe and then after a while he passed it on to a writer named owen parsons who was at the daily show and then the opposition and then now is at uh last week tonight with john oliver but he did it i think for one year and then he couldn't do it for whatever reason in 2017 and so he came into my office one day, very friendly, uh, and I was just like, hey, man, what's going on? I was like, nothing, Owen, how are you? He's like, would you be free this day and interested <laughs> in hosting a video game awards? And I was like, yeah, that sounds really fun. And I just started brainstorming some bits and things like that and spoke to Radosh about it. And then, uh, yeah, had a dinner with uh, Harold, who usually, you know, puts it together. Yep. And um, yeah, it was it was really fun. You know, I... I I was lucky to inherit it and every year, you know, it's, I feel kind of, it feels daunting to get started because, you know, it's, it's a long 10 minutes to have to fill at the beginning. And I always want to make sure that it's like fun and, you know, every, and that it's a good time for everyone that's there, but it's, it's been really fun all three years. And, you know, this year was particularly, I thought, you know, the space was so beautiful and, you know, the red velvet chairs and all that. And, and, you know, to have such huge names in, in gaming come through, you know, Jade Raymond and Todd Howard and um, Richard Garriott, like, it, it, it's just, it's such a cool, weird honor that I never expected to to have in my career. But it's, uh, you know, it's thrilling because it, there's not, I didn't think I would get to interact with, with people like that through through my job. You know, I, I it's nice to be in, in the comedy world and work with, you know, some of the, the great comedians that come through the daily show but right. i did not expect to be able you know talk to todd howard about sure. fallout you know the the fallout games and all that i'm sure so. i'm sure it was surreal to air the uh the dad of war bit with Corey balrog just kind of sitting in the front uh, row <laughs> it was so much fun and i spent so much time working on it yeah. too it, i you know it, it's the video pieces 
are, you know, they play for, you know, a minute and a half sometimes, three minutes sometimes, but I put so much time into them because I really love doing them and they're really fun. And I think the the crowds really get into seeing, you know, various fails and, you know, in an mm. in memoriam sequence or, you know, doing VO for <laughs> a God of War is a stupid sitcom. So, right. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where I get to use all of the, you know, my experience as like editor editor and producer from you know back back when before i was working at the daily show and just strictly writing so it's uh yeah it's cool and then to you know like you said have the you know the lead on a game like that in the audience as that's playing is is pretty uh, pretty fun yeah and on that same note what's what's your process like as you're preparing for the show you know you always have a great monologue to start things off where you're kind of riffing on all the big games of the year and you mentioned you put these uh create videos together on um, these little these little segments so yeah how does how do you start brainstorming all that i it's usually we we usually have a meeting um that you've been at several times yep. uh, and we'll we'll kind of just kick around a lot of the big stories of the year and um i just try to gauge what's what's in the news and big enough that everyone in the room will generally have an idea of it and then things that will just hit kind of across the board because video video games aren't like the oscars or the emmys or anything where you generally know all the big things and nominees you know every game can be like 40 to 80 to 100 hours of content so it's hard to write a joke about you know a particular thing that happens in you know the third act of of red dead because you know maybe 10 people at most have played that so you kind of you kind of have to keep it general enough in the in the content to to be able to hit everyone but it's a lot of the you know the big things of like being able to uh you know grow a beard in red dead i'm like oh okay that's something that could be really fun and you know find like the biggest beard that somebody had and they'd be like oh he looks like gritty and then just put up an image of like you know arthur morgan and next to gritty and and (laughs) compare their beard right um so it's things like that or like playing you know i didn't really get to dive into zelda properly until after the game awards but i knew that like i spent so much time cooking Mm -hmm. and i uh, i found it really funny that you know it's this gigantic beautiful world with like so many things to find and explore and i'm just like i need to get more apples and trout it's such a weird you know way to to live in that world but uh (laughs) yeah um but so then you know i'll just have something i feel like the joke i did that year was like i was you know, it's this big, beautiful world, and I'm running around like the Anthony Bourdain of Hyrule, just trying to gather <laughs> recipes yep. and like sit down with various shopkeepers. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's things like that where I, the top line, if you've played ten minutes of the game, you can get it. You know, that you'll enjoy the joke, but if not, you kind of can piece together what it is. So that's always one of the challenges of putting the monologue together. And then I'll be on the lookout for like when Red Dead came out. There were a lot of uh, like really funny. Uh, cinematic mode fails and I was like oh I feel like this will be fun either to to do in the monologue or to uh, to put into the in memoriam reel so I'm, I'm always kind of like half on the lookout for stuff like that throughout the year mm. uh, and and I'll just sort of tuck it in my back pocket and be like I could do something of this in the monologue and then I'll just look at the nominees and watch trailers and just kind of build and build and build until I feel like I have 10 minutes that will generally you know entertain the the people who are in the room and you know, not uh, not get me too much hatred on Twitch during the live stream. <laughs> yeah, which is never totally possible. But oh my god, yeah, 
That's yeah. That's not what Twitch is for. Exactly. Twitch is not for enjoyment of, of jokes and comedy yeah, at just an event you're not at. Don't don't read the chat when you watch the game awards. It's a never it's a much never, better never. much better experience. Yeah, definitely not. So as you mentioned before, um, you've before the Daily Show, you've had a long career in uh, production and, and television and comedy, doing all these different things. So how did that all start? How did you first get involved uh, as a TV writer and as a producer and all the various gigs that you've done over the years? I got very lucky, you know. I um, I came up doing uh, sketch comedy and and working with some just friends of mine and putting on shows at bars and you know and then it, you know working our way up to doing shows at comedy clubs um, and then eventually I found my way to doing stand up just because the the overhead of stand up is nowhere near as much as a sketch. You know, if you write a sketch, you're like, okay, well, we have to have the props, we have to be able to rehearse it, we have to, you know, be able to get everybody in, we have to schedule, you know, we have to have the space. But stand up, you could just show up and go wild on the premise without having to have any of the logistics and you don't have to shoot anything. So it was a nice, uh, you know, I was able to flex the creative muscle in, in stand up, but then I also learned how to video edit and and learned how to put sketch shows together and and produce them and as a video editor i then applied for an internship at the onion news network and got it in their post-production department which was like the break i i needed you know everybody in, in show, you know who's trying to make it in showbids needs some kind of break and that was really the break that that i i got and it was fortunate and i worked with some people who are still like my best friends in the world at that job and um uh, they just brought me in to do the assistant editor. It, like it was an internship that was just the job of assistant editor. You would get all the footage, you would clean it and prep it for the editor and watch through all the takes. And, you know, as you're watching everything, you're kind of learning how the directors are working and, and seeing the actors and it's, it, and the content there was so good that it was just a, you know, a masterclass in, in writing good comedy good sketches mm. you know kind of hammering at a premise from every possible angle they did incredible graphics work um everything was just so dry and like they the ideal setup would be someone not totally being sure that it was a joke but right. being so yeah um to the point where like, I, I don't think this was a video but there yeah it was a headline on the onion there was once a headline that was NASA completes 50-year mission to find, comma, kill God. <laughs> and someone called the front desk of The Onion oh, no. upset, saying, is this true? Did that happen? <laughs> and it's, and like, what do you say? It's like, no, we're, we're a satire magazine. It's like, okay. It's like, no, NASA didn't find and kill God. He's <laughs> still alive. But, don't worry. Yeah, exactly. So, but so it's... Uh, it's things like that, you know, where the line is is so blurred, and, and it was just, and the the minds there were just so, so wonderful and sharp, and um, I learned a ton there. And and uh, eventually, the people that I met working at the website, and then on there were two TV shows. There was the Onion Sports Dome, which uh, I worked on in like the the graphics department, and then the uh, Onion News Network or ONN, the Fact Zone, mm. was the the proper show that had two seasons on IFC and I worked on the second season. Um, and from those, I just kind of worked in post-production and, you know, prepping for the, you know, the big studio shoot that we had. And then eventually I bounced over to VH1 and I did kind of similar work there, but then it was a very small morning show called big morning buzz live. Mm -hmm. And it, I started as an associate producer, just doing kind of technical things and then worked my way up to, 
the creative side, you know, and, and I would, being who I am, I would always chime in in meetings and pitch things and, and, you know, suggest what I thought it would be. And I had come from The Onion and I was bummed that it moved to Chicago and I couldn't be there anymore. So mm-hmm. I kind of had like, can I curse on this podcast? A hundred percent. Yes. Okay. I, uh, so I just kind of gave zero fucks in the beginning yeah. and I, I was like, whatever, I'll just pitch whatever. And I think that that really helped me to you know be like why aren't we covering this story let's do this and then you know pitch an angle on it or or whatever it was and i think people were like oh yeah you can be like they they were like yeah we're gonna bring you over to the creative side i was like great and i just kind of built my way up there and and somehow the show was small but we literally shot in a hallway it was in like the headquarters of vh1 and i think in the beginning it just it wasn't music videos so our ratings were better than they had been a year ago so we were able to sell ads and no one just really cared enough to cancel us mm-hmm. so and we had like really big names come through the show like we had benedict cumberbatch uh before star trek came out we had tom hiddleston come on to promote the avengers oh, wow. when the first avengers came out we had um you know stephen merchant who you know is half of the creative team of the office with ricky gervais mm-hmm. um Steve Van Zant from the E Street Band, Adam Sandler, Eli Manning came through. Like we, it was insane the level of of people that we got. We had musical performances from Gary Clark Jr. and and Pharrell Williams when Happy came out, and we had these really big names coming through. And it was such a tiny team that I myself and a couple of like a handful of other producers got to do all the creative work and and do pre interviews and and talk to everybody and like kind of shoot the shit with them and and just get you know the story the the way that you know you go on a late night show and you have a a story we just kind of produced it that way and um so we would kind of do those pre-interviews and figure out like what the things that would play well on tv what stuff is like oh that didn't really lead to a good answer and um we were sort of the gatekeeper and i feel like that's way more fun than doing the interviews because you just get to have like a wide-ranging conversation with you know benedict cumberbatch about (laughs) you know, all the impressions that he can do and, and what it was like working on Sherlock and how he got the role and, you know, all these fun things. And and then, you know, I, I feel like a show of the size that we were would never get him now, but it was it was just really fun. And I loved Sherlock at the time and um, it was cool. But so then from there, I just kind of, I worked at that show for four years and got to do more and more and segments and then sketches and, and then Nick Lachey became the host and we moved down to the old TRL studio and it got bigger and bigger and would do like songs with Regis Philbin. And then uh, we had a musical director and, and uh, named Rob Lewis. Shout out to Rob Lewis, who's the best. Um, and we, he and I would write a song every week, like recapping the week mm-hmm. and it would be in a different style. And, you know, so we would do like 80s hair metal and then we went to LA for a week of shows. So we would do like a, a West Coast hip hop track and it was really fun. You know, it was just like a crash course in, in making TV quickly and writing and turning things around and, um, so I spent four years there and then uh, submitted to, you know, through somebody who had worked there, I got the, the information to submit to The Daily Show. And then eventually on like my second round of submissions, I ended up getting hired, you know, when Trevor was starting. And that was that's sort of the the long but abridged history of, of my career in TV. But, you know, it's it's really kind of weird and circuitous to to get there, you know, just from learning how to assistant at you know learning how to use final cut pro and you know i was able to build a career out of it and in comedy which has been great i've been very very fortunate and gotten to work with great people so yeah awesome yeah that was a great great little recap so <laughs> you know when you look back at all all of your all of the shows and uh and outlets you've worked at from the onion to vh1 to 
Daily Show, are there any specific moments or episodes or, or sketches or, you know, anything you've created that really stands out as a highlight? Yeah, um, you know, I think for The Daily Show, anything you work on, it feels big uh, just because, like, the amount of people watching. and um, But particularly, I got to – The Daily Show would always do biofilms of the candidates when we go to the conventions. And in, you know, obviously 2016 was one of the, you know, w- was so intense. And everybody, you know, watching knew that, like <laughs> – as a comedic moment, the, you know, the, the, the RNC where Trump accepted the nomination was going to be this like huge moment in the country. And we did the biofilm of, of Donald Trump. And I, I worked with, um, you know, the executive producer of the show and Owen, who was the other host of the, uh, the game awards, um, on, on the Trump biofilm. And we did it as this sort of like infomercial thing that was, uh, like, I think it was called like the very, very incredible deal because you want it to seem like, it's supposed to feel like the official bio video of the candidate that the RNC made. Sure. So it's not the day-to-day kind of Trevor perspective of, of the show. And it was, it was really like a longer lead piece. And we spent, you know, a month just doing like draft after draft after draft and building up and, and putting in different pieces of footage and going through Trump's entire history and, you know, how he, you know, from the eighties and, you know, coming into i think i can't i think it was an owen parsons joke but just talking about like he went into you know trump went into new york city in the 70s which was less a city and more a floating porn and murder barge (laughs) (laughs) like a great description of manhattan but like little jokes like that that we just kind of like layered and layered and layered and then part of the other thing is we would always have big narrators for for the videos and so uh i think for barack obama we did the I can't, who's the first Obama? The second Obama was Larry David, where it was kind of like, meh, like the, you know, <laughs> I think Obamacare wasn't where they wanted it to be. And, right. and it was just sort of like, yeah, right. You know, like it wasn't like hope and change and excitement. I think maybe the first one was Leonard Nimoy uh, in 2008, but it was just sort of like, yeah, all right, you know, we'll see. Like it was sure, that vibe. Yeah. So Larry David did it. So for the Trump one, we were kind of like, okay, well, you know, who are the right person to narrate? And I think I had pitched, and then it ended up happening. We had Rosie O'Donnell do the narration oh, that of the is Trump awesome. biofilm, and you know she came in and and recorded it, and it it was just so much fun. Like you know it was, and it was just it, it was it was really exciting. It's I think it's still up online probably. It's called the Very Very Incredible Deal, and um, so that was good. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other fun things at the Daily Show. Uh, I worked with Michelle Wolf a lot on her. You know when she would do pieces and chats and those were always really fun mm-hmm. just because you know when she came in she was she was known uh, you know from Seth Meyers and all that but by the time she left she just was she had been working on her HBO special for you know the whole time she was a writer there just working on her chats was always so fun and she's just got such a like powerful comedic voice um Lewis Black same thing where if you give them something they will just elevate the material because they're so fun to write for they just have such a powerful delivery and um so those are fun. Like this week I worked on a, you know, a vaccines piece with Lewis Black. That was, you know, really exciting. <laughs> nice. Yeah, again, like he just elevates everything. And, you know, we had him, we had him drinking a Purell bottle. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think the joke was uh, that, you know, how contagious the measles is. So he was like, there's not enough Purell in the world. And so he put the Purell bottle on the table and then he just like spritzed it into his mouth. And then he was just like, that's vodka, by the way. I put it in a Purell <laughs> bottle so I could drink it in public. Oh, that's great. 
he's just you know you could write a joke like that for him because it's a different character than trevor and you know you could get away with different types of right things. right it's just you know he's he's so much fun so um yeah working with him and and michelle and you know neil brennan when he comes through is is a great time to work with and um and then back you know in in vh1 in the vh1 era uh i loved uh i we did like a big finale song in 2014 after a season and it ended up being like eight minutes and each verse of the song was in a different style and we shot it all over new york city and there were like a bunch of different jokes and Mm. i look back on it now and like you kind of it's a very inside kind of thing because it's like a recap of everything we did that season right but it was fun like we were on we shot on the top of a double-decker bus driving up eighth avenue then in central park with uh um rob lewis the musical director like playing a trumpet behind him and like panning to an apartment and then he goes in the apartment and like Nick's wife Vanessa and, and his son Camden and their dog were in the shot and <laughs> and then like Rob interrupted when they were like kissing and he was like Nick we gotta go the credits are rolling and, like then they turned and looked at the TV and they were on the TV with the credits <laughs> rolling and and like it had that delay where like they look but then them on TV look then the next TV looks right. and it was like that window thing um, a, a, a little visual nod to Spaceballs when like they're playing and they're watching themselves on TV yep um and then, so then the final verse, like, as the credits were rolling, was, like, Nick in a pedicab <laughs> rapping to get as much of the, like, summary of the season in as he could. And uh, we actually, like, had a pedicab, and he was, we had cue cards. We rented a second pedicab to have cue cards so he could have all the lyrics. And so I was there with it. And honest to God, like, a bus almost clipped us as we were going up wow, 8th Avenue. And it, like, came so close. And Nick is just, like, looking down the barrel of the camera, just, like, doing these, <laughs> like, hokey raps that we wrote for him. And uh, and it was great. And then, you know, Rob is such a musical genius the, that it was like, oh, put, like, little bike bells as, like, the snare of the hip-hop track because he's on the bike. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was just, like, so thrilling to work on. And, and everyone stepped up so much you know all the production team and the you know the directors who who did it 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 was just such a fun time and i I was so proud of how it turned out and um yeah it it just i was very very excited about that and it was so fun to work on and it's one of those things where you can have an idea but then when you have a great team around you you can really elevate the work it was great right that's awesome yeah that's that's a lot a lot of really cool stuff you got to work on Mm -hmm. and definitely you know the the love you guys put into it definitely shows in the final product i think so as you mentioned before you are newly a father so congrats Mm -hmm. again um so yeah how do you uh do you find that you know do you find it hard to balance family life with your career or does it kind of work out? You know, what are kind of the challenges of, of being a dad while doing what you do? Yeah. You know, I think I'm still figuring it out. One of the things that's fortunate is, um, there, there are other parents who, who work at the daily show, you know, Daniel Radosh has, uh, has I think three kids and, um, uh, several of the other, uh, one of the other writers actually, who I who I've worked at all three jobs with: The Onion, VH1, and now The Daily Show. Uh, a writer named Jeff, he uh, he had a baby the exact same day that I did. Wow! We, <laughs> we found out we were you know gonna have kids around the same time, and then um, and they arrived on the same day. So we've kind of been intertwined in a weird way That's in our cool. lives. But uh, but yeah, you know we're kind of all figuring it out together, and uh, but it's good. You know, I I think. I get a lot of good time with uh, with our son in the morning. Our our morning meetings have been a little later lately, just 
you know, as the process has shifted, right. we've, we've started a little later and we've been able to, um, so I get some really good time with him in the morning. And then my wife kind of has been, deals with bedtime a lot of the time if I end up, you know, staying to watch taping um, right at the show. But it's been good. And then, you know, the I think it was particularly hard leading up to the Game Awards. And it was part of the reason I wanted to do the Game Awards this year mm-hmm. was I... I knew it was going to be crazy of like having, you know, a baby that's less than five months old or whatever. And, uh, and, you know, writing full time on the show and then also, you know, writing all the material for the game awards. But I was like, I think I can, I think I could do it. I think I can keep that, you know, that energy that I had before having a kid. And it was great. Like, you know, it was, it was certainly hard and it was certainly like, okay, well now I'm going to, you know, you know, the, the baby's down and I'm going to stay up until two writing jokes or editing the in memoriam reel for the show. But, but it was great. And it was, I, I enjoyed every moment of, of it. And, you know, and my wife is so wonderful and like, you know, is, is so, so good with our son and, um, you know, understands like, no, you got to work, like take care of that. And then when she's got to work, like I'll step up and, and, uh, and watch her, our little man. And yeah, it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's a balancing act for sure. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm extremely fortunate to have, you know, a partner who's who's uh, who's great at it. Uh, you know, makes is a wonderful mother and and makes it uh, easier for me. And you know, yeah, cool. That's uh, yeah. Yeah, look forward to That's him great. hosting the game awards and you know, next, it would be next great. few years. It would be Just great. Start bringing him on delivery. Stage with you. His delivery will not be good, but his timing's very good. He knows how to spit up and make me the straight man in videos. Anytime I try to take a cute video, he will just spit up right at the moment that it is the funniest. He knows exactly so. when to poop his pants. Absolutely. That's Listen, great. It's important in comedy. It's a good good it's skill very to have. Important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so just a few more questions before I let you go. Sure. I, I was curious who are some of the people that inspire your work, uh, whether it's you know comedy or writing or anything like that. You know, Who are, who are your inspirations? Uh. You know, growing up, I uh, my parents when I was little, in addition to buying me Monkey Island, they were they were always into comedy and stand up, and you know they brought me to see George Carlin. I think when I was in like second grade, uh, in in Las Vegas. You know, we would go to Vegas for for New Year's back when I lived in um, California, and uh, yeah, we saw Carlin perform, and and it was great. And he had such a a way with away with words and he was so smart but just had that kind of boiling anger at that point in his career about you know the world and and kind of everything across the political spectrum he he was hard to define and but he he just was always interested in calling out bullshit and i i always kind of gravitated towards that Mm -hmm. and you know i was a kid you know i went to catholic school so watching george carlin routines as a second grader catholic school is a a lot of cognitive dissonance for a second grader to go through but (laughs) i think you know as i got older i really appreciated both what he was saying and and his point of view and then also that my parents would expose me to that in addition to you know sending me there you know to to have you know an upbringing with you know strict grammar and, and discipline and all that type of thing but um yeah they were so Carlin was a really big influence. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I I was in high school and college in like the heyday of Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert. So mm-hmm. I, I watched a ton of those shows. And, you know, when I was in college and, and had a paper due the next day and had very little written and knew I would be up all night, I would still just sit down and watch The Daily Show back then. And so um, that's pretty cool yeah, that it, it kind of came full circle. And it really it. I I feel so fortunate. It's it's really bizarre some days the beginning really felt like this weird fever dream where i was like i'm 
I'm working at The Daily Show, but it's a different host. It's this, like, young guy from South Africa, and Donald Trump's running for president, but it's not a joke. <laughs> everyone takes it seriously, and then he becomes president, and everyone, like, falls in line with it, and, you know, and then there's, like, no way around it, so that's our lives now, and it's all that we can really talk about, and then the news goes crazy. Like, it, it just really was like, I feel like I'm going to pinch myself and wake up. This is some weird fever dream that I'm having. Yeah. But, um but I, you know, every day I wake up and it's still our reality. So I'm just, I'm going with it. And, you know, I just feel fortunate to be there and, and be having a good time doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess those are, those are the big influences. I'm trying to think. And stand up. Yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, I, I really, some of the more recent comedians like Jim Gaffigan, you know, not as old school as Carlin, but he, I, he would work totally clean and I always found it, you know, kind of, kind of amazing. Like his album beyond the pale, I just thought was like so incredibly sharp and mm-hmm. funny and well-written. Um, uh, yeah. And then I, I used to listen to a lot of the Ricky Gervais show when he was, uh, when he was doing like the old XFM radio show and then the podcast with Carl Pilkington back when I had a, you know, a day job at an accounting firm, I would just listen to that for hours and hours and hours. And, mm-hmm. and I really, you know, enjoyed it. And it was just a lot of comedy going into my brain and, uh, yeah, I, I I really liked that. That was a big influence on me. And they were they would do kind of stupid games and and produce bits and and a lot of you know off the wall puns and things and and uh, but knowing that they were trashy and terrible uh, <laughs> and making fun of Carl Pilkington for it. But I listened to hours of that and and uh, I think it sort of it helped kind of teach me how to produce, which came in handy around VH1. But that was a really big influence, you know, in the mid two thousands. Very cool. And and on a similar note, do you have any advice for people looking to break into comedy or, or TV writing? Uh, I mean, I, I think making things is, you know, the thing I always tell people, it it's just so much, it, it was easier for me than it was for people coming up, you know, in the, the, the generation before me. But, you know, the ability to just edit, like shoot things on your phone and then edit them and put them up on, on YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is, like you can, you can make things so easily and and have content for yourself i hate that word so much yeah it's like, it's like we douche for using we, it oh my god we've content. yet to find we've yet to find a good alternative like yeah oh, <laughs> we can god. just say stuff oh. but uh yeah i just i'm like you need to make something that's gonna go viral yeah, like, yeah. oh god please no <laughs> yeah make make something viral that the kids will love and share that's my advice um yeah no it's it's uh just make stuff and i don't know i i always found it helpful like to be the one who knew how to edit and to do the logistical stuff because people could be good performers or good, uh, you know, good writers mm-hmm. or anything. But I, I found that I was able to edit and to, to do a lot of those things. And like, literally it's the way I was able to, to break into the, the comedy world was having the, the adjacent skills to, to writing. So I think diversifying what you're able to do is you're more likely to get hired at a TV show or something. And, you know, and once you're in the door of a TV show, it's so much easier to get a creative job than if you're just like knocking on, you know, from the outside in. So yeah, I think that's, that's always my advice is make things, but like really learn how to make them well and hold yourself to a high standard when you make them. I made a, a, a video that I spent way too much time on <laughs> that is a joke like pretty much for no one. It's like a joke that's not worth doing. Like not even worth saying, let alone spent. I spent like three months on it, but it was a a fake trailer for. Okay, this is so much track to lay to, to explain this. It was the I, movie I need, Frost I need Nixon. To know now. 
the movie Frost Nixon came out mm-hmm. with Frank Langella playing Richard Nixon. And it was about the interview that Nixon gave where he kind of like incriminates himself to David Frost, right? So Frank Langella also played Skeletor in He-Man Masters of the Universe, the like live action He-Man mm-hmm. movie. So I cut together a trailer for Frost <laughs> Skeletor, which was David Frost uh. interviewing Skeletor. <laughs> Which again is like, it's so, it's just, and I spent like three months editing it to try to make it look good. And it was, you know, it's, it's fine. Like it went up on Funny or Die or whatever. I'm sure it's still somewhere in the internet. Yeah, I need to see this now. My God, it's just, you'll be like, this is fine. You know? Right, right. As, as a joke that has no audience, it's, it's a well-made thing, I guess. But I just put so much time into really try to make it look flawless, like make it look convincing but putting in all that time was what got me to be able to work at the onion and have the standard that they expected there right sometimes you have to put in too much time on a joke that's not for anyone to be able to to learn how to make something well so you know (laughs) for sure yeah keep keep making things that that is that is the way content you know it's all content content's so important can't stress content enough yes as my as my colleague henry casey likes to say content rules everything around me yeah so shout outs to him but uh yeah. crane get the likes <laughs> exactly so Devin, thank you so much this has been an absolute blast before i let you go um where can people follow you and what are some things you're working on that you want to point people to oh you can follow me at devdel on twitter d-e-v-d-e-l-l and then same on instagram although my instagram is private so uh but yeah Give me a give me a follow request on Instagram and don't be a creep and uh, yeah and then and I'll I'll probably accept. Uh, but yeah, D E V D E L L Dev Dell, and uh, watch the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And then uh, I worked on a um, a special with one of our correspondents, uh, Desi Lydic, that's coming out. I think I believe in May May eleventh. It's called uh, Desi Lydic Abroad, which uh, I hope I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, I think so. But it's it's going to be really great. We're uh, we worked on it for a while and we're really proud of it. Um, uh, it was myself and one of the other writers, and uh, it's great. We're re- it's it's really good. So I think that's coming out in May. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, it'll be on. I think one of the weeks that the Daily Show is is off, and uh, yeah, watch the Daily Show with Trevor Noah and enjoy it. Awesome, super excited for that. Uh, so yeah, Devin, thanks again for coming on, and for everyone listening at home. As always, this has been People Playing Games. I've been your host, Mike Andronico. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Andronico. You can follow the show at PPG Podcast, and you can find the show pretty much everywhere. Again, we are now on Spotify and Google Play, so if that's where you get your podcast, definitely shoot on over there. Also on iTunes, also on SoundCloud, and pretty much everywhere else. So if you like what you hear, definitely subscribe to the show and leave us a rating. It would be super awesome. And thanks again for listening, guys. Keep on playing.